Hi, and welcome to How to Ruin Dinner. It's our final episode of the 2023. A minute ago, I said 19-something. But it's 2023, and this is our last episode of the spring semester, and we're finishing up our series on wokeness and CRT and political correctness, which may or may not be a thing anymore. Um, but we have a guest today named Bernie Powers, and he's going to talk about his work with CRT. He's a student um, in the philosophy department, so we're eager to hear about his work and his academic interests. And I'm introducing a new co-host today, James Hayes, who I met through a philosophical uh, society that Falana, our previous co-host, um, had had started several years back. I think it's five or six years old. That that I think it's called Socrates Society. Socrates Cafe. Socrates Cafe. Yes, which you should look up on Meetup if you're interested in attending. It's a great little group. So. James and I met there and then realized we were both here at UNF, and so I somehow coerced James into joining me. So, James, you want to tell us about yourself? Yeah, so I am a post-baccalaureate at uh, UNF, and basically me, that means I am getting my second bachelor's degree. I got my first in psychology, uh, graduated in 2015. I am... Uh, the old man, mostly, in almost all of my classes, except one. Um, and I am getting my post back in philosophy with a minor in social welfare. And the plan is to get that done in a year and a half and then move on to grad school where I'll either go into clinical mental health counseling or social work. Um, and yeah, that, that's... that's uh, well, the, the, the intersection between philosophy and sociology philosophy and just about anything yep. history religion it it really works well with a lot of different fields mm -hmm. so i think you're going to be a great asset to me let's <laughs> let's take <laughs> let's this back to me yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. yes because that's really what matters yeah. but finding that intersection of sociology and philosophy in particular is what we're going to be talking about next semester from what we've discussed so far. Right. We'll see what the fall brings, but that's our plan. And now we're going to turn to another continuing education person. Um, Bernie, you want to tell us about your little adventures in academia? Adventures in academia. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, I graduated some decades ago from Florida State University uh, in philosophy and fine arts, and I was directed to come back as a lifetime learning student uh, to UNF, where I'm studying philosophy again, uh, sort of a refresher course. Yes, yes. As we were saying earlier, um, you you read this philosophy and you... I, my experience is you take bits and pieces of it, you incorporate it into your own thinking, and then if you don't stay on top of your readings, it sort of Drifts become, away. Well, I was going to say it 
becomes kind of a granola mix of different <laughs> pieces, and you can't tell where the oatmeal is anymore. The you know it's all mixed up in there, um, but but beneficial. So I wouldn't say it drifts away. It just becomes a little indistinct. How about that? I like that. Okay. Well, yeah. I like so, the granola yeah, oh, metaphor yeah, as well. Yeah. 19, what'd you tell me? 72? Yeah. That's yeah, very exactly. granola. That's right. very granola. Right. Well, you have written a paper that you've presented on CRT. And as I stated, that was very much our focus this semester. And we had most of the sociology department um, come in and talk to us this semester. And, um, we we didn't we ended up not focusing particularly on CRT, but critical race theory came up over and over and over again. And since you have this lovely paper all polished and you know ready to go, we um, Jane, Jane, let's be clear, James. It's ratted all, you that's out. My responsibility. <laughs> yeah. you know? Ratted me out. Yeah. So a little background. Um, Bernie presented this paper. He read it um, at Dr. Kreller's. What, what are the what's the acronym? NFCP or something like that. North Florida Philosophical Conference. Paper PhD. conference. Paper conference. Yes. Um, and it, and it was really great. And um, kind of the position I'm coming from here is I only heard of CRT from the news and all the drama going on, so I didn't really have a strong opinion of it or a lot of knowledge about it. And then Bernie, with his paper, um, set me straight and uh, challenged a lot of, you know, assumptions that are that are out there. And I thought that was really cool. So um, I thought that would be perfect for a podcast. Bernie would be perfect for a podcast. Perfect. <clears throat> well, actually, the paper is entitled Critical Race Theory, Objectivity, and Bias. And the paper was written uh, not in a political class, but in a philosophy class called Philosophy and Objectivity. So what I did was tried to, in a very dry, academic, scientific way, look at objectivity. And because critical race theory was – this was – one or two semesters ago, because critical race theory was then brand new in the news, at the last minute, I changed from the topic that I was going to write a, a final paper. This was a final paper. Um, I changed from that topic to this topic because I thought it was in the news and it would be a little more interesting. Um, so... That's how, and I met James in uh, in a different philosophy class just this semester, right? Yeah, existentialism and uh, Dr. Lachance Adams. We got to give a shout out. Right, there. I hear this strong voice from the back of the room asking okay. great questions, and uh, I always look for that. Bernie, this room is small, and I can't hold an ego, my ego <laughs> either. So just be careful. Well, uh, so. I think there's a couple of things there that I want to comment on. Um, one is that as one in, is reading these old philosophers, and oftentimes we're reading old philosophers, it's amazing that as one immerses oneself in these ideas, how relevant they become as you pick up the, the newspapers. So I, I 
think that's a brilliant way to think about these ancient ideas and renovate them, if that's the word I want to use, um, so that they become relevant again and we have new insights from new contexts, which, note now watch this transition, gets us to the question of objectivity. And so if we start there with that idea of objectivity, what is your final sort of analysis or insight into the concept of uh, objectivity. Is that a word we can even use anymore? Sure. It's just very nuanced. It's There is, in my opinion, no final truth objective truth out there. Oh, you've got to listen. You've got to listen to John Matheson's conversation yep. around that because he yep. would disagree with you, and it's an interesting conversation around that. So, sorry to interrupt. You know, I've but, never had a class with Dr. Ooh, Matheson. Oh, you've got to go. But I, and I'm, I intend to this summer, I think. Uh, he, well, he, I just got an email today, this morning, uh, that he's going to have some kind of a reading class. Did you get that? Yeah, it's like a DIS uh, summer program, um, something like that. Well, right? yeah, maybe a DIS. Well, but don't talk in acronyms. Oh, uh, <laughs> directed individual directed independent study. study. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, that that question of objectivity, and I noticed you used the word scientific a minute ago. Um, those are interesting ideas in philosophy, and agreeing on vocabulary would be one of the ways I would get to a kind of shared perspective, which maybe is as far as I'm going to go towards objectivity. And so trying to get us back to um, that definition or how you see objectivity, and I'll try not to interrupt again. Okay. Well, the thesis of this paper um, basically was Well, actually, I I should correct myself because I started off in the first sentence with uh, talking about critical race theory. So um, I'll just briefly read this. According to its architects, critical race theory is based on the idea that race is a social construct and racism is neither an individual bias nor prejudice, but rather is embedded in the legal system and supplemented with policies and procedures. But critics of CRT argue it is based instead on storytelling rather than evidence and reason, that it rejects truth and merit, and that it opposes the view of U.S. law as neutral. Now, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines objectivity as the quality or character of being objective, lack of favoritism toward one side or another, freedom from bias. And although definitions of objectivity increase in complexity, this first simplest definition served as my starting point. And in this essay, I endeavored to demonstrate through comparisons of differing definitions and conceptions of CRT and of, quote, objectivity, end quote, that proponents of CRT tend to embrace objectivity while opponents of CRT tend to reject objectivity. Mm-hmm. So that was my starting point. Yeah, that's a great. So you, you've got a lot of work to do to unpack all that. Yes. So get at it. it the paper was way <laughs> too long. <clears throat> well, 
as far as a, brave, a brief history of critical race theory, um, and I'm just going to gloss over a lot of this stuff, but advocates of such bans, meaning, you know, since 2020, conservative U.S. Conservative US lawmakers have sought to ban or restrict the instruction of CRT along with other critical education in primary and secondary schools. Which, where, to be clear, this was not a theory that is widely taught anywhere. Not even, right. not was, even at the university level. It's more of a law school um, idea. That's where it came out It started out of. in law school, yeah. correct. And, and even its application is like... Yeah, it's... It, it's, it's The story I told uh, Bernie is I took an anthropology course this semester, and uh, the professor was talking about the you know transatlantic slave trade, and he's like... Yeah, racism motivated all that, and and it's kind of the most obvious uh, statement ever. And he's like, "That's critical race theory, by the way." And that's like, okay, <laughs> it's not what it's really built up to be. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a nuance, like all academic disciplines and theories and methodologies. It it has a very specific place where that idea is presented, and. <laughs> Kindergarten is not one of those generally. Um, I think you'll probably talk about history and the perspective of history. And there maybe is a place for um, critics to argue that CRT slips in. I'm not sure that many people even had heard of CRT until it began to be banned. (laughs) Yes. And then... And like it, all good bannings, it exploded it into the world. a lot world. of interest. Yes, yes, which we can always be grateful for a good banning. Well, advocates of such bans argue that CRT is false, un-American, that it villainizes white people, that it promotes radical leftism, and that it indoctrinates children. Opponents of these attempts to ban CRT have accused ban advocates of misrepresenting the tenets and importance of CRT and of having the goal of broadly silencing discussions of racism, equality, social justice, and the history of race. The word critical in the name of CR in critical race theory is an academic reference. I want to point this out to critical thinking, critical theory, and scholarly criticism, rather than criticizing or blaming people. Yeah, I think this this is where we could think about your use of the term scientific, that you wanted to do a scientific approach. Am I, am I wrong in thinking that's what you meant? You meant to do a critical, analytic, rational Investigation, academic, yes, yeah, that that academic that under that dual meaning of critical, because of course in our common everyday language, we use critical to <laughs> to mean usually scolding or right. something close to scolding, um, whereas at the academy we're thinking about it in terms of critical thinking, meaning we look for evidence, we look for a. a a variety of points of view. We look for the history of the idea to inform our understanding. And that's 
what you meant. Is that what you meant by scientific? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So the, this idea, academic slash scientific. Yeah. So it evidence based and theory based thinking is what we mean when we talk about this kind of race. Well, you see, now I'm going to stumble over uh, race theory. I was trying to avoid the word race because it, it's it's a theory that also extends to sexism or other kinds of othering of people. Yes, it does. And so I, you know, I'm trying to think in broad terms. These are underlying theories about how to view history and how history has been presented and how institutions have been established to favor one group over another. Um, they have to do with justice as much as anything else. So the name itself, critical race theory, um, does maybe in the public sphere, it's easily misunderstood. Sure. And there's a reason for that, <laughs> as I will discuss later. Yeah. But but a, a key point is when Bernie brought up the, the academic point of it, it, like that's not talked about in, in any media outlet. It's it's a, a, you know, it's a concoction of the left or something like that. You, you don't hear about it being an academic term and an act, academic point of view looking back on history, You're kind of going back on the uh, objectivity part, I mean, that, that kind of goes back into it. And I think it's interesting how philosophy and science both go about its objectivity in different ways. It's kind of something I learned this semester. Yeah. And it is a theory. Right. And theories are there to be discussed. Mm -hmm. There's a difference between discussing theories and indoctrination. Right. Right. So CRT scholars argue that the social and legal construction of race advances the interests of white people at the expense of people of color and that the liberal notion of U.S. law as neutral plays a significant role in maintaining a racially unjust social order where colorblind laws, and I use colorblind in quotes, continue to have racially discriminatory outcomes. The colorblindness uh, logic actually is used in reverse discrimination arguments in the post-civil rights period is informed by a particular viewpoint on equality of opportunity in which the state's role is limited to providing a level playing field, not to promoting equal distribution of resources. And that's an important point. Um, one of the philosophers that I studied in this class, uh, philosophy and objectivity, is named Sandra Harding. She, con her concerns with this problem of objectivity versus value freedom focus on the fairness and responsibilities of researchers and their philosophies of research. She postulated that knowledge is always socially situated. And she questions and criticizes any idea of objectivity, which may not include groups that have previously been excluded from participating in decisions about research that affect their lives. The, one of the founding members of, of uh, CLS, which is Critical Legal Studies, and this you brought up earlier, Dr. Trace, 
which was the origin, one of the origins of critical race theory, um, named Alan Freeman. He reinterpreted through a critical legal studies perspective how the narrow interpretation of the law denied relief for victims of racial discrimination. Notably, he described two perspectives on the concept of racial discrimination, that of victim and that of perpetrator. Racial discrimination to the victim includes both objective conditions and the consciousness associated with those objective conditions. To the perpetrator, racial discrimination consists only of actions without consideration of the objective conditions experienced by the victims, such as lack of jobs, lack of money, lack of housing. And and I think it's often forgotten the way in which we're all enculturated in, in the same stew, and so often we have a similar foundational understanding of how the system works, even when it doesn't work in our interest. And I think there's a way in which the intersectionality of, of uh, feminism and critical race concerns uh, overlap in obvious ways. Um, and the way the law is written and the way the law has been traditionally um, Enforced, and from whose from whose perspective the law has been um, created, and and I'm thinking about your idea that you know these are fundamental American values and and rights um, that the law is somehow neutral to get us back to maybe objectivity is a is a um, idea we've all been steeped in, right? And we all value, we all see the value in it. And when we discover or when we're told maybe that's not so, that it is in fact not neutral, much more is at stake, I think, for people than... Sure, it's a threat. Yeah, yep. it's it's a threat to the, to their, not just their identity, but their understanding of themselves in a country that is good and righteous and correct. We, we are quick to turn away from the ugliness associated with ourselves, our families, our state, our country. You know, it, it's a disturbing idea that we are not able to um, live up to the mythology of our own making, right, of our and, and that goes into a, a, a sentence in there that I didn't pick up the first time, but I picked up this time about knowledge is socially situated, that Harding quote. Absolutely. Yeah, I, yes. I, and that goes back to the objectivity. That sounds way more subjective to me. And if we are challenging what we know, you're challenging quite a lot. Yeah. Like, and if we're going to challenge that, what else are we going to challenge? So I can see how that may open up a – how CRT could open up a Pandora's box to some – um, a lot of pearl clutching. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Um, but but that that idea of all knowledge is socially situated is really intriguing and fits really well into. Yeah, there's a little bit more about that later. Um, you know, speaking of Florida, um, 
in this paper. Then I moved to studying critical race theory and Florida. So seemingly oblivious to ideas of embodied and situated context that James was just talking about, on June 10th, 2021, the Florida Board of Education unanimously voted to ban public schools from teaching critical race theory at the urging of Governor Ron DeSantis. I, I, I do think just once, and I know, and you can stop me, but because I, I know you were reluctant to get political, but it strikes me as we're, as I'm listening to that. You know, when you say the Florida legislature, that that word itself, that phrase itself sounds as if this is a body of duly elected, that's what we think, duly elected representatives. But in fact, what you're talking about is a Republican community of voters, and that that is a narrow body. At the urging of Governor Ron DeSantis. Yes. Don't forget yes. that part. But, but again— Republican governor, I do think we need to be really clear of who these groups represent because the the language once the language of power often cloaks the subjective and limited um, perspective that is being allowed to make decisions, right? This is a Republican, dominated right now state and these decisions are being made for a particular community and that idea that we're somehow dealing with duly elected people yes they are duly elected and they represent a perspective in spite of that being duly elected I, I, I just it seems to me an example of the way in which our social language cloaks these, you know, subjective perspectives. Well, as opposed to speaking objective. of cloaked, let me uncloak a little <laughs> okay. bit here by reading from uh, Governor DeSantis's press release describing this House bill, HB seven is what it was called. Um, he explains its purpose, or the press release actually explained its purpose as giving businesses, employees, children, and families tools to stand up against discrimination and, quote, woke, end quote, indoctrination. Governor DeSantis stated in the press release that no one should be instructed to feel as if they are not equal or shamed because of their race and that the, quote, far-left woke agenda, end quote, will not be allowed to take over Florida's schools and workplaces. <laughs> and uh, Lieutenant Governor Jeanette Nunez also stressed that the bill prioritized education rather than indoctrination and protects Florida's children and parents from, quote, Marxist-inspired curriculum, end quote. And I thought it was interesting, this introduction of 
Marxism? Philosophy from the 1800s. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say Bernie. We thought we were old with 1972, I, <laughs> but she's pulling us way back. I, I don't know I where that say, came from. I was going to say 52. I I have no idea well, these where are all, that came these from. These are all dog whistles. I mean, we know where they came from. What are you saying you don't know where they came We know exactly where they came That That idea of... You know, it's Marxist. It's communist. It's uh, your your friend Bernie <laughs> Sanders, right? They tried to tar him with that, you know, brush Marxism and and, yep. and socialism and Obama, and as all the if way back he to was, the Red Scare, right? And he on was going to be some radical Vermonter who was going to overturn the world yeah. order um, by having an idea that, you know. Harken back to a different perspective. And, and what's interesting, it goes back to your uh, point about uh, the term legislature kind of cloaking some more subjective meaning. That's kind of what I'm hearing in these quotes where it's like, OK, the lieutenant – when the lieutenant governor heard about CRT, they felt maybe, uh, you know, genuinely or not, who knows, they felt – that it was a Marxist plot and, and it made them feel unequal. That doesn't seem but, very cloaked to me. No, it doesn't it's seem Marxist, cloaked to me either. Right. It does, well, that, that's what I'm saying. They felt that way. But when they're expressing it, it's like, oh, well, this, this is making people feel unequal. Not that I felt that it made me feel unequal. It's the whole – all of society. You know, All these people I represent. Right. And it, and, it, and it takes the scale from totally individually subjective to like – Oh, it's 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 objective. Everyone's going to feel like this. If you're white, you feel like this. Yeah. Like okay, no, <laughs> that's not representing me, even though they are duly elected. You know. Yeah, and and it's in the culture, right? In general, it's part of the stew. Marxism bad, right? Just just part of the stew we've all been eating for a long time. So the, these are easy sort of words to pull out, and the meaning is understood. Um, the implication of the meaning is understood, even if the word itself and the theory behind it is not understood. There's another uh, remark in from this press release um, that I found really ironic. Uh, and this is from the Commissioner of Education, Richard Corcoran, who also depicted the bill as taking a stand against discrimination, especially against revisionist history and ideological concepts that are outside Florida's academic standards. I'm not sure who decided what Florida's academic standards were or are, but there is a board. Richard Corcoran that that. thinks that you know he's we we should take a stand against these concepts that are outside. That's uh, you know, I'm assuming Marxist-inspired curriculum. It's hard to say did, that did, without smiling. Did Marx smiling. even talk about race? I mean, <laughs> I, I, Marx. I don't know. That it was so long ago. I can hardly remember. <laughs> yeah. um, anyway, uh, this is the interesting part. Corcoran further feels the bill affirms that all students should be treated as individuals with unique experiences. And that, and that they should be afforded equal opportunities to find success and fulfillment, aided by the Department of Education's focus on ensuring Florida's classrooms are teaching how to think, not what to think. Now consider that for a minute. And think about the idea of refusing to discuss theories, yet Mr. Corcoran 
insists that Florida's classrooms are teaching how to think, not what to think. Well, if you're refusing to consider theories, how is that teaching how to think? That's teaching what to think, the opposite of what he describes, right? Yeah, I mean, from a political— Or more accurately, what not to think. Right. I mean, from a political game aspect, I mean, I understand where what, he, what he's trying to do. He's trying to appeal to the freedom-loving Americans that bleed red, white, and blue, I guess. But, I mean, like, who else is he fooling? Well, I'm a freedom-loving like, well, no American. Well, I would— Well, it's particular—not you, Bernie, a particular kind. <laughs> I would I would guess— Charitably, I think, that what he's talking about is learning how to think critically, looking for evidence, basing one's um, ideas on um, provable, evidentially based information, um, and that— you just described critical race theory. Yeah, well, <laughs> I th- I'm just trying to. Are think you saying that, that <laughs> Richard Corcoran is for critical race theory? I, I I'm I'm suggesting <laughs> that he has again this kind of language that we understand, and that the meaning gets twisted by claiming that what is happening when evidence is permit pre- presented that that evidence is then, in certain instances, indoctrination rather than the potential foundation for understanding. And and he's just twisted what we mean when we say there is evidence to suggest, right, whatever it may be. But... That's my most charitable take. And you listeners can't see Bernie making a face of me going, what, lady? But, I mean, the sentences that you read is that's the only way I can sort of parse it in a charitable way, that he's talking about critical thinking skills um, being applied. um, And then he, at the same time, is is suggesting that evidence— is indoctrination. So I don't know how the, he puts those two things well, together. Well, let's, let's consider if let's consider all these things ideas. One of the points that I made in this paper is bans on ideas also include bans on critiquing ideas. In this context, a student a student can't develop an understanding of why a concept is wrong if they can't first engage with the argument. Yeah, there's no way to go if, with that. I mean, then they, you reduce to teaching all math. All that can be told is that it is wrong. They, they're, they're not, again, going back to, uh, they're not learning how to think. They're being told what not to think. What not to think. That's a good way of saying it. I mean, otherwise you're reduced to studying math, uh, phonetics, um, because you can't learn anything about context. In, in your reading skill. Yeah. And that really kind of like undermines the intelligence of children too, where it's like, are, are we expecting our kids not to know the difference between learning about something and like being so impressionable that they just agree with? Like even if they do yeah. teach critical race theory in the way that the Republicans say, which is not, like I, I guess their their point of view is once they hear it, they're they're going to be 
super, you know, they're going to be a, a way in favor of it or something like that. Like, I don't think that's true. I think a kid's smart enough to know this is, you know, this is what happened. Whether I agree with it or not is a different matter. Um, well, to inject a little humor <laughs> in this otherwise dry, scientific, <laughs> academic discussion, um, ironically, the Florida legislator, legislature, sorry, decades earlier, enacted an intellectual freedom law that pre- prohibited the state from shielding students from speech protected by the First Amendment, even speech they may find uncomfortable. Ah, well. So, I guess, is that law now overturned? I I don't know that law, but it sounds like it. Well, it was decades ago, so I mean, the, maybe the, as far back as Marx. The, you, I, you can educate people and not make them uncomfortable. Seems antithetical to the very idea of educating people. I'm uncomfortable even thinking that way. <laughs> that, that 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 would be possible. Um, so back to Sandra Harding, this philosopher that we studied in this class, philosophy and objectivity. One of her ideas was that underlining the importance of experiences of racism, now experiences of racism, standpoint epistemology, as endorsed by Sandra Harding, this was her term, asserts that knowledge claims are always socially situated and that the starting point for research lies at the bottom with marginalized people rather than at the top with the elite. This is because the activities of those at the top limit what the persons performing research can understand about themselves in the world, while those at the bottom provide the real problems to be explained. So she makes a compelling case that values and interests entrenched in the problem, those are the marginalized people, are untouched by dominant methods suffused with bias. In other words, the elite, the people at the top, the people that are doing the research are disconnected from from the very problems. From the outcomes. Right. Well, th- from the problematic, from, from the oppressive outcomes. It's um, more abstract to them. Yeah. And and this has been something I've talked about in several of these episodes this semester, this idea that when one is discussing or making laws about or thinking about um, laws and rules um that you're not personally affected by. So I, I'm I'm thinking particularly about abortion in most of these cases. You are welcome to an opinion and you are welcome to um, thinking about these things. But if you are not going to be touched by these um, and you're not going to be paying the cost of these decisions, it seems to me it is incumbent on you to be quiet 
in your thinking. <laughs> be be clear um, that your actions, um, though valid, are not to be imposed on others. And and in this case, it seems to me something like that is going on, because it, what it seems to me critical race theory, the opposition to critical race theory is that um, in some way uh, those who have been affected by oppression in our country, those who have experienced the segregation and the apartheid of our history are being asked to not study it, to not look at it, to not um, claim a different perspective for themselves. And um, those who, in fact, have not been touched by that oppression are the ones that are making the rules about what constitutes studyable history. Are you saying that the ones that have not experienced it are not woke? <laughs> I'm, I'm saying that they should take a, a position of engaged silence, to <laughs> coin a term. What would engaged silence look like? It would mean that you thought deeply about it, you considered opinions, and you acted on in your own life the way you saw fit, but you refuse to, or you 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 do not impose your views on others um, simply because you stand outside of the circle of those affected by it. I mean, I, to have a bunch of, you know, over and over again, we see these old, sorry, you two, old <laughs> white guys making decisions about abortion. And I know that's not completely fair the, that now the Supreme Court is made up of, of men and women of different races, although they're all now old. old. <laughs> but, you know, there there is this kind of um, way in which there's, there, we need to be a bit more humble when we are not affected ourselves by these... Um, Laws and by these experiences and by these um, engagements with with oppression and just just a, a little circumspect in our insistence that we know what is correct and we know what history is and was <laughs> and what is objectivity? Yeah, what is objectivity? Well, to add a little more humor. Um, so far, nothing's been funny, Bernie, but go ahead, try. <laughs> I, I see you smiling over there. <laughs> um, so asked in federal court, what does woke mean? Ryan Newman, who is uh, Governor DeSantis's general counsel, said the term referred to, quote, the belief there are systemic injustices in American society and the need to address them. Okay. Taryn Finsky, DeSantis's communications director, said that woke was, quote, a slang term for progressive activism, end quote. 
adding that the term also referred to a belief that there were systemic injustices in America. Both Newman and Finsky can be called correct for linking the term to the idea that racism is embedded in systems like the law and the economy. But Finsky's description of the word as having become a slang term does a much better job of encapsulating how the expression is actually used. This is the funny part. (laughs) Woke entered the common usage alongside uh, Black Lives Matter and critical race theory over the past decade. The movement to draw attention to the disproportionate killing of black people at the hands of law enforcement was centered on the idea of systemic racism, a key component, component of critical race theory. Being woke in this context meant being alert to the ways in which racism can be subtle. So. Or, I mean, subtle, or we're just used to it, right? Sometimes we have, I mean, we, we can go around cities all across this country, and there are not so subtle lines, right, where black folk live and where white folk live. That is not subtle. No, that's right? not subtle. The, but there the, are subtle. There are also subtle subtleties. Ones, but you don't have to get subtle to see racism in America. You can look at food deserts. You can look at the number of trees in poor neighborhoods. And you can look at school system uh, and money ed- uh, allocations, right, all across America. This is not a Southern problem. You know, this is not unique to one sector of American society. And uh, my only point being that the pretense that racism in America is subtle, it belies the reality. And again, I think we're just we're just so used to it. You know, we're we're nose blind or whatever that that ad term is for, you know, you get used to your own smell. Doesn't mean you don't stink, right? That, that's. Well, speaking of unsubtle. Um, and you're right. And, and it's undeniably political, the extent to which it's become entwined with partisanship. Discussions of systemic racism are now being sold to white Americans as an effort to erode their own power and position. You know, be be very afraid. Yes. Right-wing writer Christopher Rufo was blunt, not subtle, about his intent to manipulate the term. This is these are quotes from Rufo. The goal is to have the public read something crazy in the newspaper and immediately think critical race theory. Mm -hmm. He wrote that on Twitter. He wrote, we have decodified the term and will recodify it to annex the entire range of cultural constructions that are unpopular with Americans. So instead of meaning something like being aware of systemic racism... The term woke became shorthand for a broad range of things seen to be embraced by the political left. Can I ask you who he meant by Americans in that sentence? 
I don't know who he meant by Americans. It's a very. I mean, you say Americans. I don't know who the. I don't know he who said you're talking. I, I, yeah, think, I think that's when, another veiled term, right, right there. That's you know, there, there's Americans, this, but the only the ones yeah. that watch Freedom TV or, or whatever. Right, it's I mean, real you know, Americans. Yeah, real Americans, right? Real patriots. That's right. another one. <laughs> I mean, these are these are the kind of terms that you know. Who who gets to be an American is been a long fight in this country. That's so that kind of language we should be very alert to. Um and recoding that means the back to objectivity that that means that language really doesn't mean anything. There's no those there's no solid or or sustained Are you saying it's subjective not I, objective. I was kind of I was kind of getting to that. <laughs> the, Insofar as language gets recoded faster and faster, it seems like, um, and having to keep up with what these words mean um, and the subtlety of who's saying them and to whom are they saying them, right? That makes decoding a real challenge and objectivity almost impossible. Right. Well, and, and I think, uh, honestly, kind of what I'm hearing and, and all these quotes that, that you're uh, um, reciting here, I, I think that fear that there isn't anything objective and I can't control the narratives and I can't control what that my kids are learning in school and I can't control, uh, you know, how history went. You know, like I'm, I'm sensing a fear in all of this that it's, it is all subjective. I mean, the um, something I learned over the last semester is – Anything that is not biologically programmed into us is culture, and like and like we're saying, it's culture is like by its definition subjective. What what is acceptable to us is not acceptable to the next culture. So it's you know it's just a fear that that you just can't control any of that, and and you want to dictate the way it goes and the way it is and all that stuff. So yeah, and what you agreed to or what you were taught as a child no longer applies. And that means that the perspective you learned at your mother's knees no longer holds. It is disconcerting. I'm right. very sympathetic to, to that right. problem and challenge. But that's not a new that's not a new problem, I'm, as I'm sure you discussed in your philosophy and objectivity course, right? This, this is not a new problem. No, of course not. Yeah. It's uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because if, if you're challenging the beliefs that you, you know, cemented as a young person, you know, as a child, and, and you're changing that, you know, it kind of go, goes back to that point. What else are you changing? You know, who are you if not for your beliefs? So, I mean, I think there's a whole identity thing. You know, that's what they call identity politics a little bit. And so I think there's that whole thing, too, where it's like, you know, who am I if I'm not this, you know, uh, anti-Marxist kind of red-blooded American, you know? Um, so I, I think that's an interesting kind of point to put in there, too, which goes more into the direction of the subjective than the objective or both. Bernie, we're coming down to to the end of our time do you want to look at your conclusion and talk about I, – you have quite a bit left and I know we're not – but we will put a – well, I say this. If Bernie allows us, we'll put a link to his paper um, in the notes and 
you know, you can read it. But I, I, I do want to get to a conclusion to your conclusion. Okay, I'll read you my conclusion um, verbatim. In summary, preeminent early 20th century black American scholar W.E.B. DuBose faced questions from white scholars and funders who doubted his ability to do his work objectively and with the appropriate level of scientific rigor because they thought he was too invested in the issues he was studying. Mm -hmm. He was often encouraged to partner with white scholars who could balance out his ostensible biases. I guess being black was his bias. As a parallel, German historians often objected that Jewish scholars couldn't be objective because of their proximity to the Holocaust. This is ironic given that many non-Jewish German scholars who wrote about the Holocaust had their own proximity to the event. The director of the House of the Wannsee Conference Museum, a woman named Deborah Hartman, put it this way. She said, on the German side, those historians, we know who they were, the Hitler Youth. So, in conclusion, I endeavored to show that by every definition addressed, simple or complex, political or philosophical, and in every example presented, advocates of CRT appear to me to embrace objectivity, critical thought, and open discussions thereof, while opponents of CRT appear to try to smother these values. Even as they use the same language, which many of your quotes showed. Right. They use the same language in a way that you're left trying to make sense of the nonsensical in some instances. Um, I think you used the word twisted earlier. Uh, did I? Yes. Um, well, I so appreciate you sharing your paper with us and and your story. It's been really a pleasure to have you. So thank you very the pleasure's much, mine. Bernie. It's, thank you, Bernie. It's great. And um, we have to teach Bernie how to use it and listen to a podcast, but we're going to do that. <laughs> and we'll, James and I will be back, and maybe, Bernie, you'll come back for another discussion another time. I'd be happy to. Great. You want to you want to sign off to James? Oh, this is great power. Um, <laughs> thank you for listening. Yeah, and thank, <laughs> thank you, Andy, for all your help. <laughs> <laughs>